0: my podcast. My name is Gail. Today we're going to be talking about Benjamin Franklin and his prayer address that he gave on June 28, 1787 at the Constitutional Convention and how we can apply it to our lives today. We're also going to be looking at the religious aspects of our country before the Constitution and the tricky line the Founding Fathers believed about church and state, the first Constitutional Convention, and the events leading up to it. So if you didn't notice, I kind of changed my podcast name a little bit since my first intro um, podcast that I uh, shared was only like a few seconds long. So that is different. I'm also still new to figuring out all the technology that goes into creating a podcast. So please have some grace on me, especially you, Nevin, if you're listening. The research that I'm going to be discussing, it's actually coming from a paper I wrote last year for my public address class, and the total paper is like 22 pages long, and Honestly, I have never felt more accomplished in my life over something as I did when I finished that paper. That was a lot of work. Um, I'm not going to be obviously reading that. I'm just going to be taking what I think is relevant to today's discussion. So not many people know about this speech, and there's actually not a lot of research done on it. When I was doing my research for it, I could barely find anything online. So I ended up actually going to my college library and in the basement and getting a whole stack full of books the old-fashioned way about Benjamin Franklin and I went through and read them and took my information that I needed out. It was a lot of fun actually and yeah. So history. History is super important. Being taken out of public schools because people don't want to feel comfortable talking about sticky situations such as religion, Native Americans, slaves, etc. This of course results in Americans not knowing their own country's history. It was actually a study done by a professor at the University of North Carolina and it showed that 88% of teachers consider teaching history a low priority. I consider it extremely high. Um, it needs to be extremely high priority. So this speech, I'm actually going to talk about the speech and then read it at the very end, but it's viewed differently from many people. People don't want to believe that God was a part of our country's history. And so people that believe that say that Benjamin Franklin gave the speech as a way to try to harmonize the delegates. Religious people believe he gave the speech because he truly believed that only with God's divine aid would the delegates come up with the government. On the actual original manuscript of the speech, there's a note written that says the convention except for three or four persons thought prayers unnecessary. So when we read this do we know if the prayers stand for the literal prayers or Benjamin Franklin's idea of hiring a clergy to officiate them? We don't know. About 20 years after the convention a story arose from a man named William Steele in a long letter to his son in it, he told a version of the story that he heard from a man named Jonathan Dayton, who had been a deputy at the convention. In this version, when Benjamin Franklin suggested they hire a chaplain, almost everyone was very enthusiastic about this and the speech. But the convention was very secretive, doors were closed, so no one would know what really happened. So it's hard to know what really happened with the response to this speech. So while we can't be positive about the delegates' reaction, it's not contested that the speech is given. So we're just going to be focusing on the speech and how it possibly set the course for prayer in our country. So in 1787, America was trying to recover from a quarter century of disruption, invasion, and civil war. Despite this, American hopes were high. The big question at the time was what type of country was America going to be like? Men in European courts were certain America would never last. However, in May, a group of men came together to form the document that we still use today, the Constitution. The Revolutionary War was fresh in their minds, and while they recognized that something needed to be done in order for America to succeed, they were wary of forming a national government. The Founding Fathers feared political power. They didn't have experience in lawmaking and administration on a continental scale. The country was currently using a document called the Articles of the Confederation, which were about as viable a form of government that could have been offered to the colonies during their second year of independence. And this, each of the 13 states had an equal vote, with nine votes required before doing anything serious, such as war or matters of finance. It was proposed in 1777 and ratified in 1781. Edmund Randolph stated to the whole convention of 1787 that it had done all that patriots could do in the then infancy of the science of constitutions and confederacies. By the second year of independence, people were beginning to wonder how a government that didn't have the power to tax, regulate trade, and pass laws that individuals had to obey was the government at all. The articles contained a major flaw. Each of the states were granted almost exclusive power, meaning that everything depended on the goodwill of each of the 13 states. Noah Webster wrote, So long as any individual state has power to defeat the measures of the other 12, our pretended union is but a name and our confederation a cobweb. It was decided that delegates needed to meet and discuss the type of government that would give Congress greater authority and be less dependent on the states. The delegates knew that one of the most powerful things that could corrupt a man was political power, that he also differed from many other countries by believing that all men are created equal. They believed that while men might have different jobs and talents in the eyes of God, they were all equal, and they should be allowed to live, pursue their dreams, and worship God in the way they chose without the permission of other men. Obviously, they didn't quite believe this all the way because they didn't view themselves as equal women or slaves. Well, at least most, some of them didn't. Some of them actually did. But it was definitely a start to what America is today, and all of that is a whole nother issue I'm not getting into today. But it definitely set the course for America to be what it is today. Government is a contract to men that pledges their allegiance and obedience to their country in return for protection of their natural rights and are allowed to reap the fruits of their labors. In short, the reason for government is for the consent of the governed. The government serves us as we serve the government. And the best type of government is the republic by the people. So the average age of the men at the convention was just over 43, which left Benjamin at 81, the oldest man there. On the day he gave his speech, June 28, 1787, the Constitutional Convention had been meeting for around four weeks trying to come up with a system of government for the newly freed colonies. There were many disagreements about how the new country should be run. Should the states be given almost total power, or should there be something over the state? The delegates looked over ancient history and modern governments in Europe, yet the meeting was getting nowhere. Finally, Benjamin Franklin appealed to the men in what is now known as Benjamin Franklin's Constitutional Convention, Address on Prayer. He entreated the men that they should pray every day and ask God's wisdom on how to build this country. He quoted words from the Bible, including, Sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his, God's knowing, and, except the Lord build the house, they that built it labor in vain, and he instructed the men to hire a clergyman to officiate the prayers every day. Benjamin Franklin was a huge advocate for the church during this time. During his lifetime, he contributed to the building fund of each and every church in Philadelphia. From this prayer, we can see that Benjamin Franklin believed that prayer was a way for people to knit them together in harmony and achieve a sympathetic resonance with the majestic force that was out of control of man. There was actually a letter he wrote a few weeks before he died, and in it he wrote, here's my creed. I believe in one God, creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped, that it is the most acceptable service we render him in doing good to his other children, that the soul is immortal and will be treated with justice in another life, respecting its conduct in this. When Benjamin was a lad, his father had him become apprenticed at his older brother's print shop. Benjamin Franklin was raised during the extremely legalistic and dark side of the Puritans. At that time, the government and religion were one. Benjamin started to write stories using uh, under a fake name about things that would make people think, and then Benjamin's brother published him. It's actually a really funny story about how his brother came to publish him. He actually didn't know it was Benjamin for a while. Um, I would research that. It's actually kind of funny. But one story he wrote was about a woman named Polly Baker, who was a single mother who had children by different men. And because of this, she was barred from communion, she suffered public humiliation, and was even fined for her moral sins. And Benjamin points to several different points in the story, including double standards from men to women. And he even starts to question about how much boundary there should be between a church and state. Looking over this time in Benjamin's life, we can start to see why his dislike of the Calvinistic Puritan movement, where it comes from and why, though he continued to believe in God, he rejected the normal Christian practices such as going to church. And many people nowadays point to the articles he wrote about Christianity during this time and try to say that's what he always believed. But as we see, he definitely starts to view God as more sovereign as he gets older. Um, when he was a younger teenager, he was trying to figure out what he believed. When he was actually around 15, he decided to read some anti-deist tracts in the hope of trying to believe what his family did. But the tracts did the opposite and only confirmed he didn't believe in the Calvinistic ways. The separation of church and state was something the delegates were pretty passionate about yet they still believed, despite what people try to tell you today, that the government they created could only support a moral people even though the founding fathers decided the government would make no establishment of religion. So when America was first settled, it was settled by many different denominations of Christianity and Catholicism. And this caused some great divides in the different settlements as the laws of the settlements were based off the main religion. There was no great religious piece of freedom for all during the early colonies. The Quakers and Baptists were particularly hated by the Puritans, and in the 1600s, they were imprisoned, flogged, banned, sent as slaves, and some were even martyred, depending on where in the colonies this was happening. And it's kind of coincidental the Puritans did this to people because they themselves had originally left England because of religious persecution. When William Penn founded his settlement in 1682, his frame of government promised that anyone who lived in the province, as long as they confessed and acknowledged the one almighty God and lived peace and and with justice, they couldn't be persecuted for their religious persuasion. Penn was among the first to believe that forced religion could undermine peace and prosperity. James Madison is sometimes called the father of the constitution, and he said, religion is the basis and foundation of all government. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Thomas Jefferson wrote, Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God. While many of the founding fathers did indeed believe in religion, they saw that having both church and state combined did more harm than good to the country, but recognized that in order for our country to work, the people cannot forget God. And obviously, again, they weren't perfect themselves, but God definitely used them greatly to help come up with this document. When the 18th century deists believed is that there was an impersonal deity who created the world and heavens by uniform natural laws, but never interfered in the operations of the natural order. They didn't believe in miraculous interventions because because it was so contrary to the divine intention and natural order of things, the deity who created the universe by predictable laws created the humans who understand them. Therefore, humans didn't need the Bible in order to understand God or reality. One only had to look rationally around them. Deists also believed that ritualistic worship, such as going to church, was unnecessary and did nothing. They believed the way to honor the deity was to use reason and practice virtue. So that's what Benjamin believed when he was younger. But obviously, by looking and studying. His prayer at this convention, we see he definitely changed his mind from what he believed during that time. In 1728, he wrote in a private memorandum a document called Articles of Belief in Acts of Religion. This summarizes what he believed. It was a mix between the supernatural Calvinism and the what-will-happen-will-happen will happen deism. And then he writes about how he believes... That there is one supreme being, the infinite father who expects nor requires no worship or praise from us, but is infinitely above it. And he writes about how in all men there's something in them that craves to worship an unseen power. And he maintained believing in the providence of God and believed that God governed the affairs of men, which is a Calvinistic tenet of faith. This shows that he never completely rejected his Calvinistic roots. And then, then again, this speech dispels any rumors that Benjamin Franklin did not believe with his whole heart that God was king of the world, and only with his help America would become a great nation nation. Without his blessing, the United States of America would be a laughing stock down the generations. In fact, all generations would look at them and see that establishing a proper government doesn't work and would leave government to more primitive methods just chance war or conquest. This speech was delivered on June 28th of 1787. On September 17th of 1787, the new form of government for the United States was signed. And then June 21st, 1788, it was finished getting ratified, and then a year later, March 4th, 1789, was the day it established is a starting day to start operating the new government under the Constitution of the United States. A powerful man of faith, Billy Graham, once said, have you ever said, well, all we can do now is pray. When we come to the end of ourselves, we come to the beginning of God. When all hope of everyone agreeing on a government was almost lost, Benjamin spoke. Modern Americans should not be ashamed of God or his rule in our country. Whether they personally believe God exists or not, Our Founding Fathers did, and it is a part of our country's history. And it was because of that speech of Benjamin Franklin's devotion and belief in God that Americans today have the religious freedom to say and believe there is no God without persecution. Again, the Founding Fathers believed in a small government. They did not believe that just one person or government should be able to tell someone what to believe or do. And they saw from all the religious persecution in the colonies that having church and state mixed together was not a good idea. And they kept this in mind while forming the Constitution of the United States of America. And they made it possible for Americans to have religious freedom without fear of persecution, which is something today many people outside of countries of America still don't have. But religious freedom can work both ways as well. The government does not have the right to tell us what to believe, and that counts both ways. And recently there continues to be instances in America where Christians are discriminated against when they refuse to do something that contradicts their Christian belief system. This is not religious freedom for someone to force you to do something that's against your religion. Our country is not perfect and never has been. Whether it's our divide over slaves, rights for women, or abortion, it seems there's always something that divides America politically. Is there any way we can ever be one nation under God? Benjamin Franklin believed, and I quote, without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves should become a reproach bi- and a byword bi- down to future age. This is from paragraph three of his speech that I'll read in a minute. Benjamin Franklin believed that in order for America to succeed, including then with the delegates and even today, it is with God's help our p- country can succeed. Lately, you know, it feels like our country has been never been more divided. God is still God and God is still sovereign and we need to pray for his help over our country. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. That is from Psalms 127. Mr. President, the small progress we have made after four or five weeks close attendance and continual reasoning with each other, our different sentiments in almost every question, several the last producing as many no's as Oz, is methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we've been running about in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics which have been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution now no longer exist. And we have viewed modern states all around Europe but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. In this situation of this assembly, groping about as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. The longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without its aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of babel we shall be divided by our little partial local interests our projects will be confounded and we ourselves shall be become a reproach and a byword down to future age and what is worse mankind might hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance war and conquest i therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business and that one or more of the clergy City be requested to officiate in that service.